Good morning, everyone. Uh, as we get started um, with a new year, what I wanted to do today is not jump right into a new series, but kind of take a one Sunday kind of hit on uh, looking forward to this coming year and really setting before us a, uh, what we might call a collective resolution. Um, and so today's uh, sermon, today's teaching, if you're taking notes, we're just calling it Reaching Forward, a collective resolution for 2023. Now, as the basis for this kind of collective resolution for this year, today we're going to be looking at Paul's writings at the end of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible there with you, would you turn to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And then if you do not have a Bible either with you, but if you don't have one at all, uh, at the back of the room, there's a handful of Bibles that uh, you can either just borrow for today if you'd like, or if you don't have, like I said, a Bible to call your own, take that with you. That is our gift to you. Um, we believe that Jesus speaks to us, that God speaks to us as we open the scriptures. Uh, and so uh, we want everyone uh, to have a Bible that they can call their own. Now, this passage, before we get into reading it and, and today's teaching is kind of how do I put this? this? This passage has served as kind of an anchor passage for me over the past few months. Beginning back in October, uh, I, I took a little silent retreat in the middle of the fall to St. Andrew's Abbey, um, which sounds awesome. Um, and it was, but it was, a lot of it was just kind of sitting by a pond with a bunch of ducks um, and just kind of hanging out and, and praying with the ducks. Um, but uh, coming out of that, that silent retreat in that time, uh, Philippians 3.10 through f- uh, 4 verse 1 has served as like an, this anchor path. I keep coming back to it. On a daily uh, basis, I kind of keep coming back to a verse or a phrase or the whole passage, chewing on it. And so today I kind of want to just take an opportunity to set before y'all what I've been mulling over over the past few months. In the same way that many people might identify like a word or maybe a Bible verse or a whole Bible passage as like their word for the year, this is my humble submission for you to consider if you don't have one yet to pull a word, a phrase, or maybe to take this whole passage as kind of what you're going to carry with you and what we'll carry as a community into 2023. Sound good? Yo, all right. So if you are there to Philippians 3 verse 10, would you join me in standing if you're able for the reading of the Spirit-inspired scriptures. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through these scriptures today. Holy Father, would you make us more into the people that you have called your children, living a life as sons and daughters. And Jesus, we pray that you would meet us uh, as we gather today, meet us in the table, meet us here in the word, that you would... um, God, that as I speak, your invitation into a a particular resolution for this coming year would would come across um, with clarity, God, with a vision uh, for who you're inviting us to be and and, and how your spirit is guiding us there. As we open ourselves, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Philippians 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already reached that goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but the one thing I do 
forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth it is that we've attained. So join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I have often told you, and now I'm, I'm saying this again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Amen. You may be seated. There are three things any resolution needs to be successful. Whether you want to learn a new language this year, whether you want to run a marathon within a few months, you want to kick a habit or start a new one, every resolution to be successful needs three things. Vision, intention, and means. We use the example of learning a new language, say French, Spanish, Japanese, or Klingon. You must have, or Hatiz, you must have... First and foremost, a vision for the resolution, an idea of what it would be like to speak that language, why it would be valuable to you. Why would being fluent in Spanish be beneficial in living in Los Angeles and have a vision for the ways in which that would be a beneficial part of your character to be formed into a person who speaks Spanish or Klingon. The second thing you need is clarity of how to get there, the means. It's not enough to go, yeah, it'd be great to speak Spanish, to be fluent in that. I need the means. How am I going to get there? Whether that is Duolingo and setting aside 10 to 15 minutes a day, or that's going to a class, whether that is going to the gym to get to a part, you know, you want to get fit or whatever in 23, whatever it might be, you want to get debt free in 23, whatever these things might be, you need the means of what do I actually have to do to get there? It's not enough just to have a vision for that. You need to actually discern how to get there. This isn't hopefully too mind-blowing for any of us. But the third thing that we need is intention, personal decision to actually do the means that get us to that vision. It needs to be an initial and recurring commitment, but it is that intent, that decision, that tenacity to go after the thing that we have discerned that we want and the thing that we've discerned how to get there. We have, to, we have to do that. So with these three in mind, if you just consider the past years or years, plural, you know, more than just last year's possessive, but last year's plural possessive, the successes and failures of your resolutions over the past few years. Think about the resolutions that went really well. And now, you know, you you do speak a new language, or maybe you did get out of debt that one year, or you quit going to the gym within three weeks. Think about the successes and failures. They likely rose and fell around these three things. There was some breakdown of vision, intention, and means. 
There was some breakdown of not having a clear, compelling vision of why speaking Spanish would be great. Or you didn't really get the means down of what it would take to get out of debt. Or you just didn't make a decision to become a morning person and have that recurring commitment that when it really mattered at 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock the night before. It's a breakdown of these three things. Any transformation requires vision, intention, and means. Whether you are going to Alcoholics Anonymous or reading a New Year's blog on the, web, on the internet, all of these things revolve around vision, intention, and means, what Dallas Willard brought together in the acronym VIM. So vision, intention, means, VIM. As in the phrase VIM and vigor, VIM is a Latin word, it comes from a Latin word for direction, strength, force, power, and energy. So to talk about what is the power of transformation, it's, what's the VIM? It's the VIM, vision, intention, and means. Now I talk about all of this because in the passage that we just read, we are provided one of the clearest examples in the New Testament of the vim of the Christian life, what I'm kind of you know, setting before us today as a, a vision, intention, and means for 2023. And so today I want to look at this Paul's vim of the Christian life, Paul's vision, means, and intention for the coming year so that within you know, a few minutes when we move into prayer and then move into the coming year, we all have some level of clarity, equipping, and hopefully some resolve for the coming year. At the end of the day, I can't do intention for you, but my hope is to make space for you to make a decision today after providing clear vision and means for where we're going as a community. Sound good? All right. Now, even for those of you that are like, hey, my resolution was to go to church once this year and I'm done with that to-do list. Here's, here's my hope today for you is that even if you may not be a follower of Jesus or investigator, whatever you may be, my hope is that in this time today would not be wasted but that you might get a good look into what a vision is of what it means to be a Christian in the first place. There's a lot of people out there who claim that title, and my hope is just to provide you with kind of, you know, going back, hearing it from, you know, the horse's mouth, hearing it from Paul's mouth. What is it, the scriptures, what does it mean to be a Christian? There's a lot of people out there who claim the title, and I hope today to set before you, oh, that's what the Bible, that's what Christianity expects out of itself, if that makes sense. So, with that being said, let's get into what is the vision for the Christian life? What's the vision for, for those of us who say, I want to follow Jesus, what the coming year and what our lives ought to look like? We need a vision for what we're looking after. And so, there in the first two verses of uh, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul gives us a Christian vision as a vision of transformation, Look again at what he says in verse 10. He says, my goal, my resolution is to know him and the power of his resurrection. What, it, what is Paul's, my resolution is to, to know Jesus. He continues though, not just to know Jesus, but to know the power of his resurrection. And not just to know Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection, but to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And then he says, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the, from among the dead. And there's a beautiful vision that Paul gives us, but I just wanna break this down into simpler chunks that we might be able to carry with us into the coming year. Paul's vision that he gives in verses 10 and 11 here is a vision of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, and then in verse 11, because of Jesus. This is the vision. What's the vision of the Christian life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What ought I to set my attention on and build my life around? It's being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did all because of him. All because of him. The first is to be with Jesus, what Paul calls knowing him. 
Notice that Paul doesn't say, my goal is to know about Jesus. He's not, he's not wanting to read a systematic theology textbook and get it memorized. He wants to know Jesus. He wants a personal experience of him in the fullness of the word. And so the first vision of the Christian life is a life of deep and ongoing awareness of Jesus, connection to him, a life saturated with the very presence of God, what Jesus called me abiding in you and you abiding in me. And may I say, this is the best part of being a follower of Jesus. It's being with him, sitting in the presence of savior, of my king, of the God who knows me and created me, has saved me, who has seen the depths of myself like no one else has and still looks at me and calls me beloved. To be in the presence of this sort of person, this sort of savior is the best part of, the, of, of what you could experience in, in this next year. You might be thinking about the different people that you want to meet or spend time with over the year. And some of you are in this room. When I think about the people I want to hang out with over the next year and spend time with, there are many of you in this room that I'm like, yeah, them. Others of you, maybe not so much. I'm totally kidding. Um, but but what, what, what is the appeal of those sorts of people that we want to spend time with in the coming year? Is the sort of presence that they provide to us when we spend time with them, the sort of people that, that we find ourselves becoming when we're with them. And the invitation of Paul's vision to know Jesus is, again, not to know about him, but in the fullness of the word, to know him and experience in the presence of Jesus where I find myself as known as I'm fully more and more knowing him. It's the best part of following Jesus. But as we spend time with him, as we open ourselves up to being with him, what ends up happening is we end up being shaped to look like him. In the same way that people end up looking like their dogs, the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more we start to be formed into a person of love like him, which is what Paul calls, again in verse 10, being conformed to his death. Other translations put this as becoming like him in his death. We become like him. If there's one phrase in all of what we've just been read and what I just read and what we've been looking at today, it, it, is, it is this phrase right here. Not just being conformed, but being conformed to his death. Not just becoming like him, but becoming like him in his death. Now, this language of death, it, you know, this is like heavy metal Paul comes out and like lays down the cord. But just, just sit with this for a while. For Paul... He understands the death of Jesus on the cross as the primary place where the humility of Jesus is on full display. He understands the death of Jesus as the primary place where the, the self-denial of Jesus for the sake of others is on display, where the self-giving love and obedience to God is primarily on display. We may find it in Jesus's miracles and his time with the woman caught in adultery. We may find it in his feeding of the 5,000. We may find it in his clearing of the temple. But for Paul, the cross is the primary place where all of that gets summarized. And so to follow Jesus is to become a person of similar humility self-giving love and self-denial where your life becomes like your cross. And so the vision of what Paul has is that you and I would live our lives entering into our vocation, our relationships, our marriage, our singleness, our parenting. We may enter into our personality, our stories. We enter into who we are. But over the time with Jesus, it becomes to be cross-shaped. 
if that makes sense. It becomes the context and the place where there's a deeper humility that's, that, that is brought out. There's a greater effort of self-giving. You may not die on the cross, but some of you have a toddler that lives in your house right now. And it, is, it, is, it, is, it may not be as excruciating, but it feels close sometimes. <laughs> You, you may not be crucified, but some of you find yourselves in, a, in, in what may be a season or a life of singleness, and it feels almost as excruciating. And what Paul is saying is that's what he calls the fellowship of his sufferings. More than just martyrdom of you dying for your faith and you standing up, I believe in Jesus, you know, but to gunfire, is your life becoming the place where you lay down yourself for the sake of others in obedience to Jesus. M. Robert Mulholland, in his wonderful book, An Invitation to a Journey, when he defines spiritual formation, when he defines the work of discipleship, he says it's the process of being formed into the image of Jesus, and then he adds, for the sake of others. That, that phrase reminds us there that the whole point is not just becoming formed to Jesus, to being a person who's more joyful, happy-go-lucky, calm, content. Yes, and amen to those things, but for the sake of others. See, the vision is that you become the sort of person whose life becomes cross-shaped. As Jesus himself said, if anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus? Does anyone want to be with me, become like me? You, you can't do it without a cross. Just, just to spend a little more time here, because like I said, this has been one of the things I've been chewing on the most over the past few months. When you think about what you call faith, what we call simplicity, Gratitude, generosity, secrecy, justice, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things that we would go, oh, that's what it means to become like Jesus. They are all different facets of a cross-shaped life of humility, self-giving, and self-denial. Just, just take this this week. Take one of the fruit of the Spirit and, you know, go, go for a walk and just think about how is this a facet of self-denial? How is this a facet of, of a cross-shaped life? And you'll just find it. Just meditate on that. And so I bring all this out. And why I've been chewing on this so much is because one of the great dangers of kind of our, our stream of Christianity and our local church of collective is the danger of a wellness spirituality. Where, what we f where we find that the invitation of Jesus is to find ourselves rather than cruciform spirituality of denying ourselves. So let me drop the bomb and then I'll come in with a lot of caveats. Therapy is not discipleship and discipleship is not therapy. What I mean by this is yes, and I, I will be one of the first to say that most if not all y'all need some therapy from some of the stuff you've gone through, but it is not the same as the life of self-giving love that Jesus has called us after. And what I find regularly within Collective is we have equated knowing our story, going to therapy, dealing with our mother wound, and knowing our Enneagram in and out as being equated with being formed into a person of love in the way of Jesus. Are those things necessary and part of the work? Eh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Are they the, the full totality? No. What's the end goal? The process of being formed in the image of Jesus for the sake of others. If your, your discipleship work doesn't dead end in you becoming more of a person of patience and love and gratitude and gentleness and secrecy and simplicity for the sake of others, then your, your current framework, your vision for the Christian life is one that well, just simply doesn't seem to agree with what Paul understands the Christian life to be. What does he say again? 
fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And so, as we continue to chew on that, the vision, though, that we have is that out of knowing our story, going to therapy, doing our Enneagram, and, and you know, dealing with our mother wound, is then we are able to enter into those places and things being the ingredients that the Spirit works with in the recipe of being conformed to his death, if that analogy makes sense. So you've got to deal with those things. We've got to do the work. But to just to do the work is to set all the ingredients on the table and not allow the Holy Spirit then to cook something up within you that is a person shaped into the image of Jesus. Are y'all tracking with me? Y'all hear this? Okay. So here's the thing. I get this. In an age of self-actualization and self-expression, me getting up here and being like, hey, 2023, death to self. Be conformed to the cross. This sounds like death. And that's because it is. You can't get around it. You can't get around it. The way of discipleship to Jesus is laying your life down for the sake of others in obedience to Jesus. You can't get around it. But if we stop there, then this is a really bum you know, sermon today. But what happens is as we become like Jesus, we end up starting to do what Jesus did. As we become a person of self-giving love in the shape of the cross, in the same way, the Holy Spirit that's at work within Jesus now comes at work within our lives and resurrection power begins to be at work within our lives as well. So as we lay our lives down, the third part of our vision is we don't just become like Jesus, we start to be able to know and experience the power of his resurrection at work in our lives and in our communities. New life, new creation, new possibilities all come out on the other side of what feels like death to us. This is parenting. This is marriage. This is singleness. This is life in church community. What feels like death in laying myself down. What feels like me parting with money to give for the sake of others. What I end up finding is it's more blessed to give than to receive. As I lay my life down and I commit myself to self-giving love for the sake of others, I end up finding not just that I'm happy because I gave, I find new life and new possibilities begin to bloom in my life as I share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. It's a growing ability that as I become more like him, I start doing what Jesus would do if he were me. I start playing my part, your part, in the kingdom of God, in this church and in our city. And so things like hospitality, intercession, healing, teaching, preaching, justice, peacemaking, prophecy, disciple-making, all of these things are these avenues of where we start doing what Jesus did, but the first work is becoming like him and it grows from there. And again, if there's another danger for collective in this resolution is many of us want to do what Jesus did while shortcoming, becoming like him in the shape of his cross. I want the prophet. I want, I, I, all the time, like people, your, what your prayer is, is you want to see like Holy Spirit stuff going on within our community more and more. I want healing. I want prophecy. I want to see some of this stuff go on. And, and I, yes and amen, I pray for that on a regular basis. But there's this, there's this, one of the things that I'm coming out of October is you don't get that without self-denial and self-giving love in the way of Jesus. When we lay our lives down, resurrection power gets unlocked. You can't. There's no shortcuts around the grave. Now, oh, there's so many things that can be said here. Um, well, just, just, just to kind of connect this to some of the stuff that, that many of you have heard within our church community, we have um, our discipleship frame here at Collective, which is the four parts of what we talk about what it means to be a disciple. Those of you who have gone through our equipping phases, you guys hopefully have these memorized. We talk at Collective about being a responsible follower of Jesus, a responsible family member to one another, 
responsible disciple maker and a responsible steward. These four roots of discipleship are all the roots and the fruit of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he did. That framework, this is, this is what we're talking about. Becoming, being with Jesus, becoming like him and that unlocking resurrection power as we do what he did. Now, does that mean that you may, you're, you're gonna walk around and touch people and they're gonna rise from the dead? That's to be seen. But does that mean that as you, as you enter into a life of self-giving love and you begin to start serving and you find yourself on the prayer team and you start praying for people that healing and new life and new opportunities begins to bloom, that there's almost this kind of spiritual authority that you carry that your prayers seem to bring something? What's going on there is someone who's becoming like Jesus more and more. Now, that's the vision of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he did. Finally, though, in this vision is one that's often left out because this framework that I'm using has been used by many others. But this is the piece that I'm really um, stubborn about because it often gets forgotten. We be with Jesus, we become like him, and when we do what he did because of Jesus... Because of Jesus. This is the motivation and the source of it all. As Paul says in verse 11, what does he say? Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Why do I want to know him and be conformed to his death, to share in his sufferings and know resurrection power? Because I assume that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, this language of like assuming and somehow seems like he's lacking confidence. He's probably like, I hope, you know, fingers, fingers crossed. Don't mishear Paul. He's got a confident source of this. If you just jump down into 3, verse 20, what does Paul say? He's confident. Our citizenship is in heaven. Why am I being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he did? My citizenship is in heaven. You and I were eagerly waiting for our savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is going to transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul's goal, Paul's resolution, yours and I's is based on who you and who we are, where we're going and who we're becoming already. So we be with Jesus, why? Because of Jesus, because through his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, his sending of the spirit, my citizenship is not in America, my citizenship is in heaven, in new creation. Because of who Jesus is to me, he's my savior and my friend, I want to be with him because of who Jesus is to me. I wanna become like Jesus because of Jesus. If I know that where, where my life and my body is going is transformation into the image of, of this glorious you know, body that he talks about, I, I believe that that power is at work within me today, slowly transforming and bringing about resurrection power, even in the midst of my body outwardly decaying, as Paul writes. I want to do what Jesus did because I am a citizen of heaven. For me to live on earth is me to, as Jesus teaches us to pray, bring about on earth as it is in heaven. Paul continues this, this he's got this framework down. He's, he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to become like him. He wants to do what he did because of Jesus. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already reached this goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. And here's the word, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Notice what he says. I make every effort to take hold of it. That's this vision because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus. I reach for him because he's reached out to me. I strive to take hold of him because he's taken hold of us. Now, if you'll permit me a dad moment here, 
Paul's vision of the Christian life is not my two-year-old Arlo grasping for my attention. Paul doesn't just say, I make every effort to, to, to take hold of him. And neither is it me grabbing Arlo and forcibly removing him to get him to do what I want. Paul doesn't say simply that he's taken hold of me. Paul's because is I'm taking hold of him because he's taken hold of me. It, it, Paul's describing in my parental experience the bliss that is my two-year-old Arlo wrapping him up in my arms and his little arms wrapping around me as we are both taking hold of one another. He's holding me as I'm holding him. This is the vision that Paul has of the Christian life is because of Jesus in the work of Jesus Christ, God has taken hold of you. He has come to bring forgiveness and new life and transformation. And so the invitation is for you to wrap your little stubby arms and chubby fingers around his neck and to hold on tight in the coming year. Not to try to get his attention, you already have it. Not to stave off punishment that's already been dealt with, but as a mutual grasping of the Father's loving presence, drawing you and I nearer and just us wrapping our little arms around his neck saying, I wanna be with you. I wanna become like you. I wanna do what you did when I grow up. Arlo doesn't say that, he's two. He just says poop. Um, it's his favorite word. So, okay, a little bit of this, because vision is important. Um, and also, this being kind of the first teaching of the year, um, as a vision for this Christian life and following Jesus, this is the vision we're gonna hit on again and again in a coming year, because some of y'all love this stuff. Here is the tentative in-pencil teaching schedule for the coming year. So this is my um, prioritize Sundays, be here, uh, don't go to Disney on Sundays. Um, or maybe just, you know, schedule them around the series that you're like, you don't want to go to. Um, so next week from January into February, we're beginning a teaching series on the practice of Sabbath. Uh, we're going to be entering into becoming a community of people who stop, rest, delight, and worship, and we set aside one day a week to do it. Uh, then from February to April, uh, what's traditionally called Lent, the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be looking in a series called I Am of the Identity of Jesus in John's Gospel. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus regularly makes these I Am statements about himself, and we're going to go through each of them in preparation of Easter, uh, with the final Easter Sunday being where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, after Easter, in the lead up to what's called kind of the, the, the time, the 40 days after Easter is, is leads up to that Sunday being Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and this power of the Holy Spirit came within the church. We're gonna be doing a series called More Part One, Waiting on the Holy Spirit. This is where we're gonna be doing a teaching series on the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit and sp creating space of us waiting for the Spirit to come and bring that. So healing, prophecy, tongues, all this stuff y'all are scared of or you're like, where is it? Uh, we're gonna be doing... We're gonna be doing some of that together. As we move into the summer, we'll be doing more part two called Walking by the Spirit, where if part one is on the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, this is gonna be on ordinary life in the Spirit of things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, and the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and then in the fall, from August to October, we're gonna be beginning um, a, a recurring series over the next three to four years where we're gonna take Genesis a big chunk at a time. And so we'll be beginning that with a series called In the Beginning, Genesis 1 through 11. So we're just gonna do the first 11 verses as kind of 
setting the stage for a, a Christian worldview, really, on, on many things. And then October to November, we're going to be um, most likely utilizing, practicing the way again, but really doing a, a teaching series on what it means to live as the family of God, as a community. Um, like, very practical. Not just, like, the theology. Like, we're a spiritual family stuff. Practically, what does that mean? And how do we enter into exercises and practices of becoming those sorts of people? And then finally, we're going to wrap up the year back in Advent, where we're going to be um, preparing ourselves for Christmas by looking at the opening poem of John's gospel, uh, John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was, right? Um, so there you go. 2020 in pencil. Um, I, I had something like this in 2020 that got shot in the face um, and we, we completely had to redo it all. So pending no pandemics, this is where we're going. Uh, fingers crossed, knock on all the wood. So here, this is, the, this, this is the vision though. The vision is once again, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what he did because of Jesus. And so the question is, how do we get there? What are the means of moving into this, 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 this vision? Um, we need to discern a way forward. If I want to learn Japanese, I've got to figure out, okay, Duolingo, 10 to 15 minutes a day at this time, and, and, you know, and then going to restaurants or watching movies you know, with the subtitles on, this is how I'm going to learn Japanese. We need the means. And Paul is awesome because he gives that to us. It's actually the one thing that he calls the one thing I do that has regular different dynamics going on. And so the first thing that Paul says, in order for you to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did because of him, the first thing you have to do in verse 13 is you have to forget what's behind. You have to forget what's behind. One of the great inhibitors to your discipleship is the rear view mirror. Now, what, what do I mean by this? Is there are three things that we could call uh, what we need to forget, the things that keep us from this vision. The first are the distractions in the rear view mirror, the things that we keep looking back to that keep us from the vision of the life that God has for us. Here's, the, here's just the simple reality. Here in Los Angeles, most of you are too preoccupied and too busy for this vision. You are too busy to be with Jesus. Your, your schedule doesn't have the room and the time for you to become like him. Most of you, like we're gonna go into Sabbath and here, here's, the, here's the gift of spiritual practices in this rhythm. It is more about subtraction than addition. If you try to add Sabbath in the coming weeks to what you've already got going on, it's not gonna work. The life that God has for you is about blessed subtraction and a simplicity and like a, a, a spiritual minimalism that hones in on what are the most important things and giving myself to those. And so this, this I mean, just if you read through the gospels, Jesus is all over the place saying, hey, come with, follow me, come be with me, come become like me. I'll make y'all fishers of men. It's gonna be, come with me, be with me, become like me, do what I did. And time and again, you find people who give excuses of why they just need a little more time before they can come and do it. Whether it's career, wealth, or family. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 62, no one who puts their hand to the plow, you know, puts their hand to the work that's in front of them and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There, there's no multitasking in the spiritual life. You must, re, I'm telling you, these are the means. You have to reorient your whole life around this sort of vision. This has to become the sole desire of your life. And now hear me, this isn't like a call that you gotta be a hermit, quit your job and go live out in the desert. Like that sounds awesome. But what the invitation is simply to reorient your everything in your life around that sole thing of being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did because of him. Anything that gets in the way of that, it may be a good thing, but it's, it, I, that's my sole focus. That's my main intent. 
And so just simply, the main point is, for some of us, in order to reach for what's ahead, we have to forget what's behind. And some of the things that you need to leave behind in the rearview mirror are just, just the simple things that get in the way. For some of y'all, it is like, I keep hitting on it because it's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm as old as most of you in the room. Like, some of us legitimately need to either set strict boundaries on or get rid of social media. Some of you need to radically rewire how you spend your evenings and your mornings. Most of what eats up most of the distractions that eat up your time where you can be with Jesus to open up your space to become like him and do what he did largely falls to entertainment and you working more and harder than you should. And those things, entertainment's great. It's, it's, it's a great, good gift of art and expression within our world. That's image of God stuff. But we, we are gluttons for entertainment in an age where that should be part of a regularly scheduled diet. Similarly with work, we are created to work. And as, I won't spend time on it because you're gonna hear a bunch of that on the Sabbath week. The second thing that we need to forget, that we need to leave behind if we're gonna reach forward is we need to leave behind, we need to forget, we need to leave behind the failure and shame of the past. For many of you, you find your, your discipleship, your walk with Jesus in a holding pattern of past failures. And so this kind of vision of being with Jesus, becoming like him, doing what he did, you go, that is not, that's not for me. I'm the kind of person who's gonna be sliding into home, barely called safe in the dust when it comes to like my eternal destination, all that stuff. But this kind of life of transformation is not for me. This will always be my story. The simple reality is because of Jesus, there is a new story that's at work within you. Because of Jesus, there is a new power. There is forgiveness and new life. In the words of Paul in Romans 8 verse one, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. Second Corinthians, for those that are in Christ, there is a, they are a new creation, a new thing. There are some of you that I just want you to hear. You keep bringing up these things in the past that Jesus is saying, I have forgotten, that I have set behind, that I have forgotten. And I'm inviting you to forget as well. That doesn't mean there's not work to do. But some of us are stuck in a cul-de-sac of past failures and past shame. And the invitation of this new year is to pull out and allow the spirit to bring you into new places. And then finally, the third thing that we need to forget is our past wins and our pride. As Dallas Willard says, in the spiritual life, one never rests on their laurels. It's a sure recipe for failing. If there's one thing that I believe most of you in collective that make up most of the attendance on most Sundays for our gatherings, that make up most of this community, if I can be blunt while saying loving, this is the thing that many of you need to forget and leave behind. Many of you have become content with a good enough discipleship, with a cruise control spirituality, where in your early years of following Jesus, you've dealt with the most explicit sins, the ones that really mess up your life. And you've kind of been okay with an intermittent being with Jesus. And you found yourself at that sweet spot of just kind of coasting through your life in your relationship with Jesus. There are many of you that, that and hear me, because I, I am saying this as, a, as not someone who I'm looking in with like a, a um, snide, like looking and, and scoffing. I see this within myself. Many of us are prone to settle into what Maya Angelou referred to as already a Christian. Frederick Buechner in his book, The Remarkable Ordinary, spends a whole chapter detailing moments that he had spent with the famed author and Jesus follower, Maya Angelou. You'll see behind me that he wrote, one thing, 
Maya Angelou said was that every once in a while as she moved around the world, she would meet somebody who would say with some considerable pride, I'm a Christian. And whenever she heard that, she would say, I try very hard to be a Christian. It's very difficult for me to be a Christian. I work at it. A lot of things are working against it in me though. But what she was really thinking when she would hear someone say, I'm a Christian is, already? It's a good thing to remember. Already a Christian. Wow. This is what Paul is saying in effect in verse 15 when he says, if you're really mature, you realize you're not yet mature. Paul says, Paul, the apostle Paul, planted churches. Like multiple times people are like, oh, he got stoned, he's dead. And then he gets up and goes back and preaches. The apostle Paul says, currently writing from prison for preaching the gospel says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. I want to invite some of you into a holy discontentment with where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Not at a place of shame, not at a place of fear of you better get it together, but there is more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you than what you're comfortable with. There is more that this city needs, that this church community needs as the Holy Spirit works within you than what you're currently comfortable with. And so for some of you, you're comfortable with the cruise control and, and I, I can make recommendations, you make decisions. But at the end of the day, there is more work that the Holy Spirit wants to do within our community and within our city. And the question is an invitation for us to forget those things that are behind, forget the, the experiences that you had with crew when you were in college, to forget your, your Sunday school attendance, to forget that you memorized one Bible verse one time and to strain ahead for what's ahead, to strain further. And this is what Paul comes into when he says not just to forget what's behind, but to reach for what's ahead. He says the one thing that's two is to forget what's behind and to reach to strain for what's ahead. Paul says he pursues as my resolution, my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This language is that Paul's straining, he's reaching. Paul writes in other places, he disciplines his body to be with Jesus, become like him, to do what he did. Or as Paul said a moment ago, he strains to reach, to take hold of it because he's been taken hold of by Jesus. Now, some of you are really big on a gospel of grace and forgiveness. And so that means you can just kind of do whatever you want and the Holy Spirit's gonna slowly transform you. I'm sorry, but this Paul says that's not how it works. It requires effort, strain, discipline, as he says. Dallas Willard writes, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You do not earn this, but if you think that you can sit idly by and you're slowly gonna become a person like Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, it does not work that way. Or as St. Augustine writes, I love this, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Without God, without, God, there, you, without God in your life, none of this is possible. In fact, none of life is possible without God. But notice what Augustine says here is God is God who works within our commitment to partner and open ourselves up to what he wants to do in our lives. And so without us, God will not. So the question is, how do we reach, strain, and discipline ourselves? Paul gives us a more simple answer than we might expect where he writes, in verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those that live according to the example that you have in us. 
So how do I forget what's behind and reach for what ahead? Paul says, hey, pay attention to the examples of, of others who have, who have followed this way as well. Paul sees that human history is almost this, this long chain link of becoming shaped into the image of Jesus. And so he says, just link your arms in, or maybe it's a conga line. Put your arms in on, the, on the back of the person in front of you, and you just dance your way into Christ's likeness. Paul says, we reach for what's ahead by living within the example of those that have followed us, or those that are, that are, that are leading us. And though Paul himself says, I'm not perfect, and no one is. He says, I haven't reached this. I'm not made perfect. He still believes that there is a, a he has a confidence that there is a example worth following within himself and within others. There are many of you in this room, none of us in this room are perfect. And yet for so many of you, there is an example that I'm able to pull from your life, an example you're able to pull out of me, an example of some form of becoming like Jesus I'm able to take from your life. Paul is confident that there remains in his life and others a pattern that we can follow after as we progress. And so what this means is that discipleship doesn't have to be a guessing game. There's a means to be found in fellow followers of Jesus. And so this vision cannot be done in isolation. This year cannot be done alone. It will happen through community as we offer up examples of this life to one another. And so this, then, is the means of how we be with Jesus, become like him, and we do what he did. It's collective. It's in the name. And so each of us have something to offer each other, and this is where our discipleship groups come in, as we gather together with mutual examples and encouragement of following Jesus together. And so Paul's means of transformation is a community where we're imitating one another into Christ's likeness. So, now additionally, because we have this local community that we follow, but we... As we connect ourselves to the conga line of discipleship, there is also this historical community that we're following of those who have gone before us. What's quickly becoming one of my favorite passages of scripture is Jeremiah 6, verse 16. So good. This is what the Lord says. Stand by the roadways and look. Ask about the ancient paths, which is the way to what is good. Then take it and find rest for yourselves. In both scripture and in church history, we as a collective community exemplifying this to one another are able to find the ancient paths towards what is good, towards that rest, and we follow it together. These are what are called practices, spiritual disciplines. These are habits based around the life of Jesus and the people of God as we create time to be with Jesus, become like him, and do what he did. And so things like scripture, prayer, community, fasting, worship, generosity, simplicity, Solitude, hospitality, Sabbath, all of these are the ancient means of this vision, of practicing, of entering into this way. This is the ancient paths that Jeremiah talked about. Which leads me to a little bit of a quick setup for our first series of the year, what we're going to be kicking off next week. Next week, we're kicking off a series like I talked about on the Sabbath, a 24-hour period set aside for stopping, resting, delighting, and worship. And in our era of chronic exhaustion and overwork, of emotional unhealth, of burnout, and spiritual stagnation, few things are more necessary than the recovery of this practice, of the way of Sabbath. And though it may not sound like it because I just talked about being conformed to his death and now I'm saying you need a day off, Barbara Bound Taylor uh, encapsulates what many of us who have tried Sabbathing and given ourselves to it for some time have found. She says, at least for me, a decline in productivity is a practice in death. Productivity is the universal means of valuing one another. And so Sabbath is a weekly tonic 
built into the teaching and fabric of the universe that once a week you're supposed to quit being good for anything. Sabbath itself is part of being conformed to his death. It's a day when nothing is earned, achieved, or measured, and it feels like a form of dying for many of us today. And so we're going to be partnering with a ministry called Practicing the Way. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be entering into collective, becoming a community of Sabbath. And so here's the, you know, there's the vision, here's the means. How are we going to do this? First is through weekly Bible passages, as we always do, sending out passages to, for you to read on your own, by yourself during the week, on what the scripture says about Sabbath and rest. Then we're going to gather for our Sunday teaching where we're going to take those passages and bring them together for teaching on Sabbath and rest in the life of our church. And then we're gonna go out into our discipleship groups with the Sabbath companion guide and, and work through exercises of slowly stepping into Sabbath more and more. And with that, there are also going to be reach exercises for those of you that really wanna go hard on Sabbath, if that makes sense, um, where we have a couple of resources. So just... This is the, the fun stuff of combining um, a kickoff for the year and also for the series. Um, there's the Sabbath Companion Guide. There's a digital version up at collectivechurch.com slash current series. There's also a link to buy the physical if you would like. So I'll just say, we're starting next week. So order this and, and bring and have this ready to go. And then also, if you're wanting to do the, uh, the reading exercises, you may want to go ahead and order Dan Allender's book on the Sabbath to read that. Uh, as we go through the series. So here's, here's the intention for the series is just, you know, come back next week and, and we're gonna get rolling into this. You may want to this week visit collectivechurch.com current series to read the weekly Bible passages for the coming week, to buy the companion guide, to look over and get an understanding of, of what to expect. I'll just simply say this. If you're not in a discipleship group, that's how this is going to be experienced. So you need to be in one. Some of you took a break for the holidays. That's totally normal, but... This week, get that going so that you guys have the rhythm back and going for the series so we can enter into this together. So here we go. The vision is to be with Jesus, become like him, to do what he did because of him. How do we do that? By forgetting what's behind, reaching for what's ahead, and we follow together the ancient paths. Now, as we land the plane, I've talked about vision and means, and any resolution requires intention. Intention, your personal desire and commitment to go after that vision and those means. You can have all the vision and the means in the world. You can listen to every teaching series, read all the books, go to any, you know, see all the podcasts and be a part of all of these conversations. But sooner or later, you must make the initial and daily decision to embark on this journey. Apart from this, it will amount to little. Apart from that, it will fall flat. There's some of you that have been attending Collective Church for the past year, and you're like, I'm still kind of the same. It's likely a breakdown of this, or it's maybe my vision and means, and you need to find a new church. That was a joke. Um, or, or it's your intention, or it's a decision that you need to make. I just imagine if you bumped into a person wondering day after day if they were going to learn Arabic or were going to get married, just waiting to see if it would happen. It's laughable because you have to intend for something for that desire to become a reality. Again, as Augustine said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. And so it's this call to decision-making that Paul ends his passage with in verse four, in chapter four, verse one. After dealing with the vision and means of the Christian life, he says, so then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. In this vision, in this resolution, stand firm. 
Plant your soul, commit yourselves, make the decision, do what you need to do to give yourself over to this. After Paul has given the vision and the, and the means for us, he now says, your decision is now, will you stand firm? Your response here is your responsibility. Your discipleship is your decision. Remember our discipleship frame. We talked about being responsible, family members, responsible followers of Jesus. Why all the repeating responsible? Because that's the make or break of the whole thing. The Holy Spirit absolutely is the make or break of all of it. But after that, it all comes down to what are you going to decide to do with the invitation of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to take responsibility and ownership for your own discipleship? Will you choose to stand firm? Paul warns of the alternate when he talks about those that live now as the enemies of cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They're focused on earthly things. I ran out of time, but this is the deconstruction moment that we're in. There are many who know the means and the vision for the Christian life and yet have not had the intention, the, the, the decision that I'm going to give myself to whatever is necessary to get to that point. And so just the question is, What is your focus? What is your glory? What are you chasing after in this year? Who is your God? What is the end? Who do you want to be in the coming year? And are you going, are you committed to giving yourself to that? The Holy Spirit is, Jesus is, he's taken hold of you. But the question is, will you take hold of him? No pastor, no church, no discipleship group can do intention for you. I can preach till I'm blue in the face and literally sweating right now. I can't make the decision for you. You have the responsibility here. That's your choice. We can call one another. We can galvanize. We can enable one another, not out of bad shame, but family love. But at the end of the day, the decision's with you. I can write like Paul and call you my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, which you are. I can call you my joy and my crown, which I believe you to be. I can call you my dear friends. And I would say that, but at the end of the day, for all the love that we can provide for one another, all we can do is set the space for each of us to make the decision. And not only do I want this for you, not only does Jesus have this for you, but again, this is what your neighbors, your coworkers, your spouse, your children, your church community, your friends, your roommates, what they need most is you being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing what he did. Jesus is reaching out towards you with an incredible vision for this coming year. Through his cross, he's opened up a new life of resurrection power. He's provided you with a gift of this community and a heritage of the ancient paths. He's taken hold of you, and the question is, will you take hold of him? And so as we close, I'm just gonna reread the passage today. I'm gonna invite you to kind of take a pa- just a posture of listening. You may wanna close your eyes but we're gonna reread the passage from Eugene Peterson's The Message, and this will just kind of be the closing prayer as we move into a time of response. I gave up all that interior stuff, inferior stuff, so I could know Christ personally. To experience his resurrection power, to be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way for me to get in on the resurrection of the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal. 
where God's beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than a total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. So stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running on the same course, headed for the same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times, and sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies God. Their belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting for the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies just like his. He's going to make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he's putting everything as it should be under and around him. And so, my dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. You fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Amen.